Do you want fewer misunderstandings at work? Do you want smoother, more effective conversations with your manager? What about at home? Connect more quickly with an upset child or come to understanding more easily with a frustrated partner? This week on The Communicative Leader, we tackle how using a communicative view is going to make your life easier. Hello and welcome to The Communicative Leader, hosted by me, Dr. Leah O'Million Hodges. My friends call me Dr. O. I'm a professor of communication and a leadership communication expert. On The Communicative Leader, we're working to make your work life what you want it to be. Let's think about a hammer. Yeah, you heard me right. I want you to think about a hammer. A hammer can be an incredible tool. Anyone who has built something from furniture to a deck to a home, just adding finishes and furnishings to your space, you know the value of this simple yet effective tool. But just as we can think of many ways to use this tool for good, we also have to recognize it can just as easily become a weapon. One textbook I use talks about someone using a hammer to persuade that two by four into a too small space, right? And certainly we can think of old movies with a crime syndicate, someone pulling out a hammer to have a conversation with Jimmy here in the corner. Side note, have you noticed there's always a character named Jimmy in these old time gangster movies? All right, moving on. A lingering misconception about communication is it's simply a tool we pull out when someone would like to get his or her or their way or to clarify misunderstandings. This is a really simplistic view of communication. When we're looking at communication only as transmission, right, as only this way to clear up misunderstandings if someone didn't hear me correctly, in these situations, then we can repeat ourselves. We might choose a different channel, right? So maybe we're instead of a text, we're going to pick up the phone and make a call. And in these situations, we can clear up a misunderstanding. Yet, when organizations cite communication problems, or even in romantic relationships, the issue is usually one of meaning-making between two or more people. In these situations, that preceding solution, when we are going to repeat ourselves or pick a different channel, that's not going to help, right? If there is a value disagreement at the heart of a conflict, again, simply restating it louder or more slowly is not going to resolve that conflict. Yet how often have we found ourselves in meetings or situations where people do exactly that? Let's say we're in a team meeting and we're sitting there and we're watching. Folks, this is always easier to identify from the outside looking in. And we're sitting there and we can tell our manager and our teammate they are butting heads. We're starting to feel the temperature of the room change. We're getting a little uncomfortable. We notice other meeting attendees are kind of shifting in their seats Both of these people, both our manager and our peer, they're reiterating their points of view. Sure, maybe they're using different words occasionally, but each continue to hurl their opinion at the other over and over and over. It's almost like watching dodgeball, but with an argument or an opinion. And if you haven't seen this at work, this might be something you've experienced in another interpersonal relationship. The romantic partner, a friend, here's the thing. It's not that our manager or peer don't understand the other. It's not that they can't hear them. So taking the time to clearly enunciate each word or to speak more loudly is not, and I repeat, it is not going to clarify or diffuse anything. 
Spoiler alert, and we know in our heart of hearts, it is going to do the opposite. It will fan the flames and it will usually increase the blood pressure in our conversational partner. Car commercials always talk about how quickly a car can go from zero to 60. This is the communication equivalent of that. Again, conflict here is not stemming from a lack of hearing each other, or even a lack of understanding the other's suggestion, but rather it may have emerged from a disagreement in meaning-making. Meaning-making, hmm, what is that, you ask? Each of these parties, right, our manager and our peer, they're coming from a different perspective, and they might also have slightly different goals and values, so they're each going to see their solution as the right one. But if we take this communicative view, it can help each of them to take a step back to seek to understand the other before attempting to be understood. And even if only one of the parties, right, let's say it's it's only our manager or it's only our peer who's able to do this, it can go a long way in diffusing the tension to let them come together, reorient around that shared goal. And like we said in the last episode, conflict can be a very powerful and a very positive thing. A foundational view of communication allows parties to realize and connect over these shared values or other similarities. We're thinking about that instance above. If either the leader or member were to adopt a foundational role of communication, they could point out that this disagreement It's likely stemming from the fact that they're both passionate about the project and want to see it executed well. Taking a moment to, again, reorient, reflect on that shared goal, allows them to discuss other primary or secondary goals. The the leader, for example, they might be making specific suggestions because they have additional information about what top leadership or board members are expecting. On the other hand, our peer They might be pushing their recommendations to be implemented to illustrate to their leader that they are deserving a more responsibility or maybe a promotion. As they communicate from this perspective, they can move to a meaning-centered approach. So now that we know this view of communication gives us a solid foundation to work from, how the heck do we get there? In a book I co-authored with Rebecca Imes and Jen Hester, we spent a lot of time thinking about suggestions to help elevate employees' ability to communicate and relate. We're going to consider these five suggestions and offer specific illustrations for each. Why? Because being intentional about your communication, it is going to amp up your leadership ability while also helping you to be more credible and more persuasive. Another benefit? Yeah fewer misunderstandings, and likely stronger relationships. So let's dive in. First thing we're going to look at is intentional language. I'm going to share a story from when I was working in industry. I had this manager and she was really incredible in many, many ways. And I learned a lot from her and I actually still think about her to this day. One thing she would do that still bothers me is the way she would refer to us, her team. When we were in our office space, she would sing our praises individually, collectively. She would most commonly refer to us as her rock stars over and over. She would use this term to celebrate our successes and highlight contributions. My rock stars, what a rock star, you rock, right? Uh, You know, on and on and on. But yeah, you knew this was coming, right? Of course, there is a but. But anytime her manager or peers at her level were around, she would refer to us, and I quote, just her staff. Yuck, right? Just no. 
So for some, this turn may seem slight, and certainly in some more formal workplaces, using a term like rock stars would be seen as unacceptable. Yet we need to consider how it feels to be referred to as just her staff when others, those who are not in the group, are around. There are certainly more professional and more inclusive terms, such as my group or my team, that would have indicated a shared experience and continue to promote respect at all levels. So taking the time to think about how it feels to be on the receiving end of various comments is helpful in all scenarios for employees of all levels. So now we're going to consider tone. And of course, we're thinking about what is being said with our intentional language, but we also need to think about how it is being said. So if we're going to continue with that example, if my manager had said my staff with warmth, with affection in her voice, it would have certainly evoked different responses in in me and my team members than when she would say it dryly and often with a dismissive shrug. Tone becomes especially important when we feel ourselves getting frustrated or we realize that we're really pushing to be understood, especially if it's at the cost of really listening to the other person we're chatting with. Think about when you have to deliver bad or unexpected news. It may feel easier to exercise control over the situation by removing that emotion from our voice. We don't want our voice to crack in front of our employees. What would it say about us as leaders? Contrary to old school advice of keeping emotion out of the workplace, I encourage you to lean into it. What does it say about you as a leader? It says that you are also a human being who cares about their team. Before I left industry, I was on an emergency preparedness team of a large metropolitan hospital. As a representative from the communication department, during emergencies, I enacted the role of the public information officer. So during crises, whether they were big, such as the news of H1N1, or smaller, briefly losing power, we'd assemble a command center, I'd wear a vest that had communication officer marked in large, bold letters. As part of this role, I would draft and disseminate messages, update employees, and the media. One aspect of our communication plan was leaving a message on a designated hotline number so employees who didn't have a work computer or were engaged, right, in patient care could pick up a hospital phone, their personal phone, and call in for a brief update. So this sounds fairly simple, right? Write a message, record the message, done and done. Well, I was really, really, really terrible at this. Why? I actively worked hard, so hard, to remove any and all emotion from my voice. Move over, Elsa. I had Ice Queen down on lock. Well, isn't that a good thing, you ask, especially in emergencies? Certainly, there is the goal of communicating in a way that isn't going to scare the heck out of anyone, but you also don't want to sound like Surrey or Google or Alexa when you're connecting with people in uncertain times. If I could go back or I had to do this in the future, I would be sure to communicate as if I were talking to a good friend. I think of one colleague in particular. I think about him, her, them. I'd see their face. I would take pauses as if it were a conversation. And this would help me to make it more conversational. That also communicated empathy and understanding while providing that required information. It may sound trite, but warmth, empathy, understanding, and patience go a long, long way in connecting with others, especially when we're conveying less than desirable news or when we're interacting with someone we've had a hard time connecting with in the past. Now we're going to look at taking an other-oriented approach. 
Well, we've talked about what we say and how we say it. Now we're going to consider this higher level of communicating. So in many ways, this one communicative approach illustrates the foundational role of communication. It is a macro way of considering relationships and communication. This one, though, is certainly easier said than done. But when we practice it, we practice taking that other-oriented focus, it can help minimize misunderstandings and reduce conflict. And as the name suggests, this communication practice means focusing on the other's person's perspective rather than figuring out how to bolster your own argument. It is not easy to put someone else's needs first, particularly when it feels like something is at stake, such as the success of a project. But when you take an other-oriented approach, that perceived conflict can quickly be diffused. A shared understanding emerges more rapidly than if we continue to reiterate our stance repeatedly and again, likely more loudly. That is a go-to, isn't it? This other-oriented approach, it doesn't mean that you're not heard, and it definitely does not mean that you are walked all over. Contrarily, those who take an other-oriented approach tend to be really highly regarded in the workplace. Why is that? Because it shows complexity in thought and problem-solving while simultaneously putting relationships first. So what does this look like in the workplace? How do you actually do that? Simply addressing the situation can really help to bring those big feelings down to those that become a little more manageable. So you might say something like, it sounds like we're both passionate here and we both have really strong ideas for the project. How about we take a moment to circle back to original project goals, right? Really simple yet transparent way of acknowledging what is going on and thinking about those shared feelings. You might also try something like saying, I have some ideas to share. But first, it would be helpful if we really explore your ideas. Then we can consider how those impact the project. And then afterwards, we can dive into my ideas. Again, small but intentional communication steps to save the day and even to help save those workplace relationships. Let's consider active listening. The name is deceptively easy. Yes, active listening requires a lot of work. You're asking me to do more, is what you're saying? Yes, my friends, I am. I bet you're starting to see how these tips go hand in hand. We're going to look at this more in the fifth and final piece of advice. But again, first, let's focus on active listening. So many times we think we're listening, and oftentimes we'd be more accurate in saying that we are hearing. Active listening means, well, you're actively engaged. You're doing more than hearing what your friend is saying. You're making eye contact. You're asking questions. You can paraphrase or summarize to make sure you're understanding what they're sharing. You are not, I repeat, you are not thinking about the amazing sandwich you made for lunch. You are in the moment. We'll tackle active listening in greater detail in episode five. But until then, I want you to think about focusing on the person. Focus on the content, what they're saying. Focus on eye contact. Focus on your body language. Do not focus on the sandwich. Well, now I'm thinking about a sandwich, uh, but we are going to talk about a meaning-centered approach. This meaning-centered approach, my friends, this is kind of the apex of our foundational view of communication. This meaning-centered approach, it infuses the act of listening, the intentional language, tone, 
and as a result, it is the ultimate enactment of an other-oriented perspective. Meaning-centered communicators, they are cognitively complex, and they're working hard to observe and engage with others and the environment in really thoughtful and meaningful ways. That meaning-centered approach also means communicators take responsibility for what they say, and that means owning your own mistakes and missteps. It doesn't mean that communicators are exempt from occasional faux pas, but rather when they occur, you're going to acknowledge that error and take steps to rectify the situation, right? Maybe you didn't think about how a comment could impact a peer, right? Then you're going to circle back and say, hey, listen, I, I was just reacting. I didn't think that through. I appreciate you. I respect you. And this is what I want to communicate instead, right? So these can be small. Uh, these don't have to be large sweeping actions. And rather, when we're, again, taking that time to be intentional and to reflect on what we're doing, then this allows us to be a powerful communicative leader. Taken together, we now realize that a more sophisticated view of communication is as a foundation. Without a solid foundation, homes can sustain structural damage and therefore can't provide shelter. Without a solid foundation, marriages and relationships tend to crumble under everyday pressures and stressors. So now that we know what goes into this foundational view of communication, and you're saying, yes, I get it, this is great and all, but what does it actually look like? I mean, how do I know that I am I'm doing this? For our applied communication tips this week, we're going to go through a series of say this, not that examples. Kind of like wear this, not that, but for communicators. Yeah, we really are this cool on the communicative leader. Let's look at three common reactive responses we hear in the workplace. We're going to look at them one by one and consider a better, more meaning-centered approach, what that looks like. Because the professor in me is dying to come out, and also we need to unpack the difference. Why? One, I'm an organizational communication leadership nerd. And two, it truly is important that you understand why one response is going to be better than the other. Reactive statement number one, failure is not an option. Show of hands, who's heard this before? You can't see me, but I'm raising both hands. I feel like I've heard this so many times. Sometimes as a joke, but usually not as a joke, most often as a declarative statement issued from a manager. Why is this not the best statement to make? It frames the work, the project, for example, in either-or terms. Either this complex, multi-part project will be a success, or it will be a spectacular failure. Even if we're not saying that explicitly, oftentimes as the employee on the receiving end, that is our takeaway message. A much healthier and realistic approach is to innovate for sure, but acknowledge the complexity of the project as a whole. If we can break it into small pieces or integrate milestones, we can take time to celebrate and re-energize along the way. And celebrating these mini victories and triumphs go a long way in maintaining a creative and engaged spirit and then messaging that makes your team feel like it is an all or nothing situation. Instead of failure is not an option, what about something like what safeguards do we have built in if we're not able to fulfill this aspect of the project by the deadline? Again, this statement is acknowledging that this is just one small part of a larger whole, 
in that, sure, we are striving to meet this deadline, but what are some of the other options that we have in case that that is not going to be a viable option? Reactive statement number two, because that is the way it has always been done. We've heard this likely from a lot of people, right? From parents to friends to those in the organization. And again, this is where creativity goes to die when we hear that. And why is a statement so problematic? Again, many reasons. It effectively shuts down conversation. This is the communication equivalent of slamming a door on someone. It implicitly tells the employee that their opinion does not matter. Second, it is so reminiscent of age-old parenting response of because I said so. It is not fun to hear that at 4 or 14. We certainly don't want to be spoken to in a childlike manner at work. What could we try instead that would be meaning-centered? There's a lot of history and tradition in this particular event or project or process, but it's important to consider how to improve and innovate. I'd love to hear your suggestions. Time for our third and final reactive statement. Time off? It feels like you just took time off. Whew, that doesn't feel good to verbalize, even as an example of what not to say. Why? It shames employees for using what is theirs to use, paid time off. Work is a transactional process. Employees, including leaders, adhere to job descriptions, and in return, the organization provides compensation and fringe benefits, such as vacation time. While an employee may have a vacation planned or a baby due or an unforeseen event come up in a less than ideal time for work matters, it's essential to encourage and support work-life balance. So let's check that reactive response back in the 80s or 70s, I don't know, just a long time ago. Instead, consider celebrating the use of their benefits. Something like, I'm glad to see you're using your vacation time. Good for you. It's important to take time off. Next time on The Communicative Leader, we're going to consider how to use communication to help us avoid common organizational stumbling blocks. Added bonus, we're going to consider how communication can help us to enhance the employee experience. What's that? You're going to help my time at work to feel better? Yes, please. Again, we're working to make your work life what you want it to be, not what it is or what it has been. All right, my friends, that wraps up our conversation today. Until next time, communicate with intention and lead with purpose. I'm looking forward to chatting with you again soon on The Communicative Leader.